This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. After spending my entire career in the sports industry, I wanted to continue to find ways to give back to individuals that wanna get in this business or individuals that are currently in this business that wanna continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, I've always put a lot of focus on hustle, hence the name. Every week, I will have the privilege to sit down with top ranking professionals in our industry and hear about their life journey, their career path, what they look for in successful people, and ultimately, a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our first guest on 52 Weeks of Hustle is the Chief Revenue Officer of Global Attractions at Legends, Corey Breton. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Travis. Pleasure to be here. Good, Corey. Well, you know, I've uh, had the privilege of working with a lot of great people, and, you know, I couldn't have started this podcast without you. Uh, Corey was my first boss, hired me, you know, I think mainly of Midwest. I'm from Ohio, he's from Michigan. But, uh, you know, Corey, you know, I, I certainly appreciate you uh, and not only to be able to call you a mentor, but a friend. So I appreciate you being a part of this podcast. But let's start from the, the beginning of you. you. You grew up in Michigan, decided to go to Western Michigan. How'd you choose Kalamazoo? <laughs> um, I, I would say I was fairly naive uh, as an individual growing up. I was fortunate enough to be the first individual in my family to, to go to college. And so when I applied and I didn't have a whole lot of direction, uh, I was a decent student in high school, uh, but uh, didn't have a whole lot of direction. So I only applied to two schools. I applied to Western Michigan and Michigan State. I was fortunate enough to get accepted into both. And I made my decision based on the fact that I did not want to, want to wear green and white and root for the Spartans. Um, and, you know, I, I look back at it now, though. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love the experience at what I would call Mac School, where the city is really formed around the college, um, and it provided me the access and the ability to, to be where I'm at today, so it, it worked out well. The Harvard of the Mac, I assume, right? <laughs> yeah, it's right up there, for sure. So, so how did, you know, whether it be in classes or internships there at Western, lead you to the sales industry, and specifically then your first job out of college with the Phoenix Suns? Yeah. Um, so while I was in college, my initial major was accounting. Um, and the only reason I chose that, once again, not, not a whole lot of, uh, I would say, guidance from anybody. Um, I chose it based on the fact that when you graduated, you earned 50 grand a year coming out of college. So I thought that was if I could earn $50,000 a year, I'd be rich uh, based on my upbringing and my parents. They both worked in shops right outside of Detroit. Um, we were middle class to a T. Um, and then through that lens, you know, after about, uh, I would say a year in those classes, I looked around at my classmates and the entry level accounting classes, and I realized I didn't have a whole lot in common with those individuals. So I pursued an advertising promotions degree, and that's actually what I graduated with. Um, it wasn't until my last second to last semester of my senior year, though, there was an elective class, and this is before sports marketing programs really blew up. So I had no idea sports marketing was even an option, but I did have an opportunity to take one sports marketing class. My professor was Dr. Mayo. And in that class, he brought in recent graduates who were now working in the world of sport. So he brought in individuals from the Toledo Mudhens, um, Chicago Cubs, Chicago White Sox. And the last team was the Grand Rapids Rampage, which is Arena League football team. So this is legitimately the second to last semester of my college career. Um, and they came in and spoke with us. And Post they them speaking to us, I actually went up to the individuals from Grand Rapids Rampage, and I'm like, I'm very curious and interested in a career in sport. I had no idea this this opportunity, this lane was even available. 
would you have any internships available uh, for the, the next semester? And this is probably in October, November of my senior year. Went through the interview process. Once again, extremely fortunate. It was only about 45 minutes, 50 minutes in Grand Rapids, uh, so north of Kalamazoo, and was hired as a sponsorship promotions manager, uh, which basically meant you did anything and everything, like any other minor league team. So some days it meant dressing up like the mascot. Other days it meant delivering magnet schedules. And then during game days, you know, I'd be out there with the blimpy sub gun shooting blimpies into the stands or handing out Little Caesars pizza, pizza, pizza type deal. Um, but I immediately fell in love with the atmosphere, the energy. I think game days really caught on to me as well. I'd never been able to experience it from that perspective. And they then turned me on. And I'm like, how do I do this as a career? Like, how can I turn this into something for postgraduate? Uh, they told me about teamwork online. And that transpired into NBA job fair. Back in the day when they used to have an NBA job fair where all the teams would attend and they'd hire entry-level sales roles out of that. Um, and it just so happened serendipity uh, because obviously I, I didn't have a whole lot of cash in pocket. But the NBA job fair that year uh, was actually being held in Chicago, which was only driving distance from Kalamazoo. So not only was I able to apply, get accepted, but I was able to drive over to Chicago for the job fair. And that was really the start and the launching pad for, for my sports career. Nice. That's awesome. And so I ended up starting in Phoenix, you know, and similar to probably a lot of our listeners, either they're, they're looking to get in this business, they didn't really know this business existed, or probably a lot of people that are in this business, similar to yourself, didn't really know what, what they could do. So you, you started in inside sales with Phoenix. What were some of the big early adjustments, you know, coming right out of college, a lot of college, you know, my senior year, I think I took two classes my senior year and the rest, uh, you know, time was, was playing at the rec or out drinking with friends. So how did that lead you into to sales with the sun? Um, what, what I would say is that, you know, I, I, I didn't intentionally do it, but I aligned myself with really good people. And I think a lot of this has to do with luck or serendipity or putting yourself in the right position at the right time. You know, I had other opportunities coming out of the job fair. Um, and once again, I was fairly naive in, in my decision-making matrix, if you will. I really didn't have a decision-making matrix. I, I went wholeheartedly with my gut. Um, but there was offers for other teams in the Midwest. And growing up in Michigan, uh, I only went to school an hour away from my hometown. I wanted to get out of the Midwest. I wanted to go travel. I wanted to see something different. And I also felt like at that point in time, I needed to separate myself um, from, from my peers. From, and what I mean by peers, I mean my friends, my family. And not in a negative way, but in order to like, go all in on me bet on myself, move away where I didn't have this parachute, I didn't have this fallback where I could go back home if things didn't work out. And so I chose to go to Phoenix. I had never been west of the Mississippi. I packed up, you'll appreciate this, I packed up my S10, uh, fit everything I, I had at that moment, and uh, I moved out to Phoenix, and I just so happened to work for, I mean, at that point in time, there's probably four, five, six different individuals that were my leaders or um, – you know, individuals that are in a senior position with the Suns that are now senior leaders within our industry. And they all happen to be there at the exact same time. And so I was just surrounded by talent. Um, and so that's what really led me to that role. You know, did I ever seek out a, a sports or I would say a sales role? Not necessarily. I don't think anybody graduating college says, you know, this is what I want to do. It just so happened that was the opportunity. That's where the most opportunities available are. Um, I'd always worked in retail throughout college. So I felt like I could apply some of those skills it was still close enough to advertising and promotions where I felt like I could apply my creative energy to it too. And then I moved out there. And I would say the biggest transition period for me was business acumen, first and foremost. Um, as I mentioned previously, I grew up in a very blue collar family. Um, I owned one suit when I moved out to, to Phoenix. And our primary goal was to call on businesses, um, cold call businesses. And I didn't have a whole lot of business acumen. I didn't know how to speak their language. So initially I was drawn to the construction industry because I felt most comfortable with that because of my background. Um, so I would say that was another one. That was one of the areas. And the other one was just plain maturity, which I feel like falls a little bit in line with business acumen. How do we become a professional? Um, how, how to you know wake up early in the morning at 6 a.m. and maintain energy and effort till 6 p.m.? How to commit yourself um, to growing your skill set even beyond traditional business hours. And I, I looked at it like this is a truly a craft. This isn't a job. 
And I think those were the biggest elements that I had to adjust to. But fortunately, I was surrounded by a group of individuals who are all doing, who are all making that exact same adjustment, which meant that I had a tribe to do it with, which was, you know, if I had a bad day or didn't feel at 100% one day, a member of our tribe would pick me up and vice versa. So that, that was the biggest adjustments that I had to make when I transitioned out to the Suns. You know, a lot of it, and I've talked to a lot of teams, I'm sure you have, you know, to, to that point, you start with these people, you end up spending more time with them than you do any family or friends, even some friends that you had in college. And it's kind of the same ways. Find those people that can continue to challenge yourself each and every day. And you, you look at people that have been in this business five, 10 years, a lot of them when they're standing at the altar for a wedding or they're going and thinking about going to do a birthday bash, it's with the people they worked alongside with. So it, it, relationships is key. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I would say, and I tell this to everybody, um, I grew more in that one year, uh, both personally and professionally than I did in my four years of college. And once again, it was primarily due probably to the fact that my college was only an hour away from my hometown. My freshman roommate was my best friend from high school. The people that I hung out with, honestly, were a lot of them were from my high school or surrounding area. So I really didn't extend myself to other people's ideas um and or issues or expand my like breadth of knowledge i, I kind of kept myself in a little bit of a cocoon and then all of a sudden you get thrown into this different city working for a pro professional team that just so happened to be very competitive our first year so it was a high demand ticket as well now you're kind of the cool kid in town type deal and you're 23 years old 24 years old and so it definitely is a transitional period but i grew a lot in that first year Yep. And you know, what I always tell people is you can always move back, right? You can always move back to, to where you grew up and you're going to make friends and relationships that go a long way. And, you know, Corey, when I spent my time in Phoenix, I felt like every day, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I had to walk by your tie, uh, you know, cut your tie, you, you, and along with a lot of other really good industry professionals, I have a lot of these uh, on this 52 weeks also podcast have been very successful in this business, but you had a you know, very successful career in Phoenix. And then it was time into leadership. So I think first, how did you know you wanted to get into leadership? And then ultimately, how did you decide on Atlanta? Yeah. Um, I, once again, I feel very fortunate. You're going to notice a common theme uh, is I'm very grateful and fortunate for, for my career, um, what it's provided me, and the opportunities I've been able to take advantage of. My first boss coming out of college was a gentleman by the name of Mike Toman. Um, and he's now with Legends. He, he's ironically enough, uh, my direct boss right now today in my current role. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that in serendipity there too. But um, the first two months were extremely challenging. You know, when you go into primarily over the phone sales, and at that point, you got to remember this is pre-social media, really pre-cell phones. This is when people definitely had home phones. Not everybody had an email account, right? At the email account that I had at that point in time when I moved was my EDU account from Western Michigan University. So your primary mode of contact was the phone. Um, and it's a different dialogue. It's a different language. And the assessing questions I really, really struggle with. Um, and it was, it was asking open-ended question was a whole new way of transforming your thoughts into questions and trying to lead them to a desired place, right? And so... Struggled for the first two months, absolutely sold zip, zero, zilch, last on the board. Um, and yet I was putting in the energy and the effort, and, and Mike noticed that and recognized that. And he also recognized that I definitely had a nervous tick. Um, when I would get to the point for assessing questions or if I would ask one question but not necessarily know what the next question was because it wasn't part of my muscle memory yet, I would get agitated and immediately get flustered, and then the call would go south. And so every single day in the month of August, he would sit with me uh, from 5.30 to 5.45. He gave me a baseball bat to like hold and, and to kind of calm my nerves. And we just would do rapid fire with assessing questions. And for somebody to commit um, to my personal and professional growth that way and be willing to, to dedicate and sacrifice their personal time for me uh, really went a long way. And then of course, whenever you, you commit to your craft, ultimately it comes around if you maintain the work ethic and I started to see success. And that success led to more success to the point by October, I was buying a second suit. So I had at least a second suit in the closet. Um, and at that moment, I knew I wanted to be a part of leadership. I wanted to pay it forward. I wanted to give somebody else uh, what he gave me, which, I, you know, we always talk about a, a couple words like he, 
I had hope for myself at that point in time, but it was only because he instilled belief in me and he made me believe in myself. And I think that's a strong, strong word in, in the English vocabulary, belief. And he believed enough into me to commit the time, the energy and the effort to work on my skill set. And that translated to me hoping, like feeling like I had hope. I had a sense of purpose um, and I wanted to provide that to somebody else. So that's what really led me into leadership. Um, as it relates to Atlanta, ironically enough, I uh, very fortunate. I interviewed with a few different teams for inside sales manager. And that's kind of the next logical step when you wanted to get into leadership. Um, and I knew I was going to have to leave Phoenix because at that point in time, uh, a name that you might be familiar with, Jeff Ionello, was the inside sales manager in Phoenix. So there was a roadblock there, glass ceiling for myself, unless I wanted to wait additional one, two, three years. Who knew what the timetable was going to be? So automatically, I knew I was going to have to move. And I've always been very open to moving. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of physical assets, so it was completely easy to pack up again and, and move across country. Um, and when I flew out to Atlanta, I mean, they had at the time, it was the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers. They had a hockey team who's now the Winnipeg Jets, but they had two professional teams, which I thought was very unique and creative. Really what I would say an emerging market, um, it was a growth market, a uh, ton of businesses. I think it's still 75 of the top 100 corporate uh, Fortune 500 companies, you know, have uh, office at least. They might not be headquartered there, but they have an office in Atlanta. Presence, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's densely populated as well. The, the, the city of Atlanta is vibrant. Um, but more importantly, there was phenomenal leaders. So Bernie Mullen was our president, uh, who's with the Aspire Group. Lou DePauli, uh, who's actually with the, the New York Mets, was our CEO. Uh, and Brenda Donahue, who oversees NBA 2K, was our vice president. Um, Chris Zaber was a director of sales there. And so you go down the line, there was just phenomenal leadership. And from day one, and I remember the conversation I had with Brenda Donahue, um, it was more than a transaction. It, it was definitely a relationship, a partnership, and I immediately felt like it was family. And I think that's something that I've always looked at when, when I've looked at opportunities is, you know, not only could I see myself having a beer, a cold one with this gentleman, but I, I genuinely feel like he didn't view me or would never view me as just a stat or a name. He viewed me as a human being and he wanted to invest in me in my career. Um, and so once again, similar to the experience I had in Phoenix, I knew that that was the right moment and the right time. And yeah. probably I think it was within two weeks. Um, I, I, you know, and Phoenix, first and foremost, Phoenix pushed this, right? They, they, they opened up, they made the introduction, uh, to Atlanta for me. Um, as I get received a call, if they had anybody that was trying to, you know, become an inside sales manager. So a, I had support on the home front from the Phoenix suns. And B, they connected me with a team that they believed in as well and a group of individuals that they believed in. And so within two weeks, uh, I think it was in December of 06, I moved out to uh, to Atlanta to become the inside sales manager. Nice, nice. And, you know, you mentioned a couple of things on that, Corey. You know, one, one of the things you taught me early on in my career was this business is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and, you know, you kind of hit on that. You you weren't, weren't really selling at first, but, you know, kind of look at you where you've become and where your career has progressed. And I think it's a marathon, not a sprint, certainly. Um, you know, then the other thing is, is relationships, right? You've mentioned a couple of times working for the right people. And, you know, that's what we do as sales professionals. We're really a consultant where we're building that relationship and kind of leading people to ultimately purchase from us. So, you know, so completely key on those on both of those. You know, many of our listeners, uh, maybe people looking to get into this business. So you become the inside sales manager in you know December of six, January of '07 with Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers. I remember uh, you know my first phone interview with you. I think after annoying you several times, my first face-to-face -face interview, uh, and then ultimately you've helped me a lot with interview skills. What advice would you give people, whether they're trying to get in this business or whether they're in your shoes in Phoenix and now they're trying to do that, get into that next role, that leadership role, that sponsorship role? Where's a few pieces of advice for interviews in general? Great question. Going back to your interview, uh, I definitely remember you came through Jen Laren. I believe it was a referral from her. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Um, and so, A, I would say advice is is find somebody that knows somebody and, and get through the referral uh, roadmap beyond yep. anything else. That resume automatically goes to the top, especially if it's coming from somebody I respect. And I definitely respected her and her opinion. Um, and so I think that helped off right off the bat, right? Um, I'll hit I, on one of the things on that, Corey. I also remember you telling me, 
you know, a lot of people are putting together the resume and, you know, I went to the Harvard of Ohio, Ashland University. And, <laughs> and within my majors, you said, I remember you saying, well, I saw your resume and actually declined it on teamwork because I didn't really know what somebody in communications or journalism would, would be beneficial in this business world. So I think it goes to show relationships. I remember making some cold calls to you. And, and so I think that's a, a big part of it is you'll find your, you know, I hate the word saying, but find your foot in the door to get that yeah. connection. And I think the world has changed and I've definitely changed. I, you know, I would say from an interview perspective, um, you're not going to be able to adjust and, and change your degree, right? Your degree, your university, your um, major. Like, I think in today's landscape where we see so many people that within an organization are cross-pollinating and or holding a position or the degree is something in polar opposite. So I think the world's dramatically changed since that point in time. And we're talking, you know, 13 years ago at this stage of the game, where I felt like it was a lot more segmented. And I came from, a, I would call a very structured background, where I thought you had to pursue a degree in X to achieve Y. Yeah. Um, now, I, I believe those worlds are just wiped clean. You could have a degree in finance and be an electrical engineer. Like you, I mean, legitimately you could be do something polar opposite. So, from all sorts of backgrounds. Correct. So I, I, what I would say, if you're going through an interview, if you're actually in the interview process in some way, shape or form, and I think there at times, if you're part of the game where you're just inserting your resume into the atmosphere and waiting for a call back, you're going to have to find a way to differentiate yourself. And there's a lot more tools you can use, whether it's social LinkedIn, you can pull out the old handwritten letter. And, and handwrite somebody. I've received a lot of that with uh, a shock and awe item, if you will. So if you yeah. really want a job and you want to work for a specific company, you can get creative and, and use your own creative outlet to do that. Go um, above and beyond. Yeah, go, go above. Just don't depend on submitting. Yep. Uh, once you do get that phone interview, you know, you shouldn't feel nervous because all you have to do is tell your story. And if you're true to your story, I believe the right individuals, the right leaders, will hear tidbits in that story that excite them, that compel them to ask deeper, more thought-provoking questions that will truly find out what your fabric, who, what you're made of, what your background is, and what your true characteristics are. And that's something we always focused on at the Hawks and Thrashers when there was the Thrashers is we, we recruited characteristics. We taught skill set. And so, you know, and when individuals would try to give me their coined responses to specific questions that they felt like were the true interview questions, I would legitimately get a little upset and or I would pivot to something completely different. I'd be like, talk to me when you're 13. What was your freshman year of high school like? Talk to me about that. Yep. What, what did your parents do for their life? Like, like how do they put food on the table? Um, how did you choose your college? Who did you hang out with college? What that experience looked like? You know, what did you do outside of school? All those different questions. But I would just say, be true to you be, and don't feel like you have to build yourself up into something you're not because if that company or that leader doesn't fall in love with who you are as an individual, then it's never going to work out anyways because they're, they're hiring something they believe is true. And then when you land there every single day, you're not going to be able to replicate that lie 365 days. So you might as well be upfront and honest with them from the get-go about who you are, what you are, what you're about. And I believe it's completely okay too. And I think the world has changed in this way where maybe in the past it was like, well, what's your goals in three years? What's your goals in five years? Those questions to me are obsolete now. Yeah. Um, the world changes so dynamically, so quickly that if I look back at my career five years ago and somebody told me I was going to work for LAFC, I would have been like, what's MLS? Right. And then two years ago, if somebody said, you're going to work in attractions, I would have been like, what are attractions? What is that? Yep. So I would have never imagined myself, if somebody would ask me five years ago to map out my next five years, I would have never written this, this path. I would have never written this chapter, if you will. Um, and so I, I think that's another piece is, you know, people can tell when you're lying. People can tell when you're kind of fibbing, stretching the truth, if you will. And if you don't have an answer or response, I think it's completely fine to be transparent and honest because yeah. I believe that more people will appreciate that than if you went the alternative route and made something up. Right. No, absolutely. Well, you know, Corey, we could certainly probably talk for, you know, hours on your experience in Atlanta. You were there you know, almost seven years, went through a lot, right? You went through, you've already mentioned to 
uh, a team actually moving out of the city, uh, which I'm sure was a crazy experience. You know, to a lot of leadership change, you kind of mentioned Bernie and Lou and Brendan and Chris uh, all left and, and you kind of inherited some new leaderships and probably evolved your style. But looking back at your time, what would you say was your most proud moment uh, of your career in Atlanta? Oh, wow. I, I mean, I think I'm looking at it right now, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, no, I, I think what we had in Atlanta was special. I think what we had in Atlanta was uh, authentic, genuine. Um, and I, I feel like we built out a family tree. Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that look back at where they started their career. And once again, I, I, um, I feel like we recruited individuals that shared similar traits, shared uh, maybe, uh, you know, similar values. And I think that led to all of us kind of growing together. And to look back at that, I think that's the most valuable thing ever. And, and to see where those individuals are now. Um, and I would say the other piece is sustaining success. Um, if you were to go to the Atlanta Hawks organization, I think they're one of the best, if not the best, at recruiting, training, and retaining talent. And a, a lot of that is because of the systems, the process, and the structure that we built and we put in. Um, and they've been able to maintain success despite the fact they've lost a lot of people. And I always look at um, organizations, whether it's in sports or otherwise, you know, whether it be in sports sales or like professional organizations like the New England Patriots. How do they sustain success? It's because they built out a culture of success. And you can pull players off. You can pull offensive coordinators off, defensive coordinators off. They can go elsewhere, but the, 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 the engine still churns. And I, I think uh, between the fact that the people that have left and where they've gone and the fact that the Hawks are still sustaining success and still the top leader and you know, recruiting, hiring, training, and retaining talent uh, are, are kind of the proudest moments. Yeah, I would completely agree, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, even as I was going through the the list of potential speakers and guests here at you know for the 52 weeks of hustle, vast majority came through Atlanta. Um, you know, and, and are on to bigger and better things, which is really cool to see. And so, you spent seven years there in Atlanta. You mentioned in Phoenix, you had some you know you had some interviews. I know even during your time in Atlanta, a lot of teams were knocking on your door. You finally made the decision you know, to, to go to Minnesota uh, with the Timberwolves and Lynx. Like, what went into that? Why was that the right time to to leave Atlanta and make that decision to go to Minnesota? Um, great question. When I, what I would I would take a step back and say that uh, I remember specifically, I, I had a document um, on my desktop that said VP on it. And as people would go through my, uh, do my one-on-ones, conduct the one-on-ones, they'd look at my desktop and they'd be like, Corey's interviewing somewhere. Corey's interviewing somewhere. But one thing that um, I felt my leaders instilled in me and then also in books that I read or journals that I saw um, is to prepare for tomorrow today. And I literally would have a document where I would journal everything that I would want to implement once I became a VP. So I was building my VP blueprint for seven years. Um, and I would add elements and I would add elements from each of the specific areas. So whether it's new season ticket sales, groups, um, you know, premium sales, service and retention, inside sales, sponsorship, building ops, go down the line, all the different disciplines, anything that I saw that sparked interest or I saw that was, could become a best practice. And especially the NBA does a phenomenal job at that. I would build that out. Um, I can't tell you offhand how many times I interviewed for a vice president job and got turned down or never even got an offer. Um, so I think there's, there's that too. You talk about the journey, right? Okay. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and looking back at it, if I would have been offered those opportunities and or received those positions, I, I believe that I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't ready, uh, capable of that. So I think first and foremost, take your lumps and, and look at it as a stepping stone look at it as an opportunity for growth and look at it for as a gift. Um, if you're, if somebody doesn't believe you're ready, then, then you probably do need a little bit more time to mature and grow and um, hone your skill set. So, you know, looking back, I was probably turned down five to seven different times by different opportunities. Um, and I think at that point in my career too, I was so focused on an org chart that I became infatuated with an org chart, which definitely is misleading. I was more concerned about, how people would react from my peers in the industry or how people would react on LinkedIn to my promotion 
Um, and I, I became infatuated with the VP title, which looking back at it, and I know it's easier said than done and easier for me to say now, but I, I think that was a detriment. Uh, you know, I was chasing some things um, when I should have been sitting back. Yeah. And so during that period, I, I decided to go uh, pursue my master's, uh, professional master's sports administration at Ohio U while I was in Atlanta working for the Hawks. And that changed my perspective. And then I was afforded the opportunity to interview with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx. And I felt like at that point in time, you know, I, I was mentally ready uh, from a skill set. I, I, I felt 110% comfortable at that point in time. I, had, I was overseeing sales and service. So I understood all those lanes. I understood group sales, you know. Um, I didn't have to learn the, those skill sets. I already had them in my toolbox, if you will. Yep. Um, and Minnesota was going through a transformational period. They were building out a brand new practice facility right in downtown. Um, they had been awarded a renovation project to the stadium. Um, in addition to that, they were changing over a lot of my peers or who would become my peers, the VP position. So they had a new VP of sponsorship coming in. Um, they had myself, VP of ticket sales and service coming in. They had a new VP of, of marketing, new VP of PR and communications. And they were transforming their 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 entire organization at that point in time. And so I felt like there was an opportunity for all of us to come in together and be an agent of change for the Timberwolves and Lynx. In addition to that, you had this, regardless of what the team play was or the market size, you had an opportunity to be part of a build out, right? A renovation yeah. um, and, and you know, pick out product mix, pick out pricing, sit with the architects, things of that nature. And those were things that were, um, interesting and aspiring to me because those were things outside of my specific lane. Like I really wanted to get away from being just the ticket sales person. And I thought Minnesota is the best chance for me to spread my wings and learn about all those other areas of the business and really align myself with a new build out uh, and a new stadium. No, absolutely. You mentioned something on there was kind of going to be the question I asked is, you know, a lot of times we talk to people about, hey, this business is a grind. There's going to be a lot of a lot of long hours, a lot of nights, a lot of weekends. And, you know, it's it's not crazy to think there's a 70, 80 hour week, uh, a couple weeks in a row. And somehow, some way, you know, you decided to say, you know what, I'm also going to go back to get my master's and go to, to Ohio University. Like what went into that? You know, what, what do you feel like you, now you're better because of that? Uh, you know, because it's, it's certainly a hard thing. I've been asked and, you know, certainly I haven't went back and got my degree, but, you know, I would probably be hard pressed to go back and go through a class right now, you know, being in the business for 10 years. So yeah. you know, what was that decision? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I read a book, uh, Good to Great. I think a lot of folks have probably read it out there. Um, you know, and I think it's uh, what Jim Collins, I think, uh, wrote yep. it. Um, and he had a couple different ones, but in, in it, um, he gave the hedgehog principle, the hedgehog concept, and it asked three specific questions. And I was probably 27, 28 when I read the book. Um, and it listed out like, what are you deeply passionate about? What drives your economic engine? And what do you think you can be the best in the world at? Um, and what drives my economic engine? I answered at that point in time. And I felt like my answers to that question formed my North star. And through that, that became my decision-making matrix. And that became like my North Star, my pillar for anything that I was going to do. Like I, I would run it through that filter and that would determine whether or not I was going to commit to that element, to commit to that thing. And the one thing that drives my economic engine um, is growth. And so for me, I really loved the art and the skill set around coaching and teaching um, you know, I, I don't like the term management, right? And you hear that all the time with leaders, self-servant leadership, blah, 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 all that jazz, um, which is true, but it's overused. Um, and so I was really fascinated and enamored with growth. I had a really strong leadership team around me uh, in Atlanta, even despite the fact some individuals decided to leave me and go to other teams like yourself. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were still, we won't get into that, um, but uh, we, we were still fortunate to have a really strong team around me. Um, and I, I and I say this with tongue in cheek, but I, I felt like a little like the 10th grade history teacher. Uh, I felt like it was a rinse and repeat. Every year the team continued to compete at a decent level. We would grow revenues from seven to 10%. We would dynamically price as best we could to take advantage of the peak games. We would renew it X percent within a couple percentage points. You could kind of predict the growth for the team. 
And I had such great leaders surrounding me. I felt like now that was the right time for me to potentially grow beyond just being a ticket salesperson. And Ohio U uh, really landed in my lap via LinkedIn. They're recruiting for their professional master of sports administration. Jim Kaler reached out, um, led to an interview. And I had already thought about, you know, Georgia Tech or Georgia um, and going for an MBA just to expand. And I'd done some uh, Georgia State was another university. Um, but for whatever reason, going back to it, I mean, Jim Kaler and I connected. He worked in the NBA for a long period of time. Obviously, I was well aware of Ohio University. And the one thought for me was like, now's the time for me to build my retirement plan. And I know that may sound crazy. I was probably 30, 31 years old. Um, but I felt like when I retired, I wanted to go back into academia and potentially, you know, teach. Yep. And you need a master's to do so. And so I wasn't, I didn't go to uh, Ohio U to get my master's because I thought it was gonna help me do my current job. I went to expand my horizon, get access to new contacts, but more importantly, set myself up. So when I do retire, I ha already have it in the back pocket where I can go to a university and be like, I have 30 years of experience in sports, entertainment, attractions. In addition to that, I have a master's from Ohio U. You know, can I become an adjunct professor? Can I, can I become a, a professor on campus? And so that was really what drove me to do that. Um, and I would say what I got out of it is, A, I got to, to, to compete and compare myself with other individuals outside of my core group, which was the MBA, my core peers. Um, I exposed myself to all these different lanes because I took classes in facilities and operations, finance, accounting, put together P&Ls, built out like new stadium developments, all these other pieces that I had no idea how I was going to apply them. And ironically enough, I apply every single one of those today. And also I did it at LAFC as well. Yeah. And so it was almost like foresight. Less than three years after I graduated, here I am applying all these disciplines that I just picked up. And I might not be an expert, but I have the ability to have a conversation, which is generally like I'm, I'm, I, I feel like that could be just good enough, especially if you have the ability to start a conversation and then just shut up and listen. Um, and so that's what it afforded me the opportunity to do. No, absolutely. And you know, again, we're, we're here at 52 Weeks of Hustle podcast with presented by Event Dynamic with Corey Breton, the Chief Revenue Officer of Global Attraction at Legends. You know, I think if any of our listeners take one thing away, I think it's really come from you as being proactive. And I think that's something I've always respected of you. You talked about having always a VP plan on your desk, talking about going back to get your degree, to think about when you retire and down the road. I know you're a big reader as well. So, you know, given with our, our time here, I'm going to kind of plug in a, a question here that kind of combines it. So you spent your entire career in the NBA, right? Phoenix and to the Hawks and then to the Timberwolves within that NBA brand. Then you decided to, to go to LAFC where you, you oversaw not only, you know, a team in the MLS, a new franchise, a new, a new facility opening up and then moved on and, and stayed kind of within that legends uh, realm. We got back with Toman as well. And now this global attractions role, getting out of this business a lot of people will ask well i'm a diehard nba fan i only want to work in the nba or i'm a diehard team fan i only want to work in this like give the listeners is there really a big difference between leagues and teams and even markets I, you know i i would say this um the one thing that is a common denominator between all of us is what we're human beings um and so regardless of what business you're in whether you're selling trinkets or knickknacks or tickets, um, the skill set remains the same. And that's something we always try to focus on. We're going to teach you a skill set that can apply to anything. And I feel like it's just human nature, like human skills. So I think there's that. Um, you know, city to city, there's certain elements of each city uh, that are unique. You know, the South is, is way different than Michigan, but Michigan is way different than Minnesota, which I did not realize until I moved to Minneapolis. Um, Phoenix is different. LA is different. And I think, you know, overcoming your internal fears and maybe your internal, um, blockers, if you will, that you might have your perceptions, your misconceptions about specific areas. I think moving around has helped me adapt and adjust to each person I encounter and be able to read kind of where they're from and how, how to connect. And it's given me the ability to connect rather quickly. I feel like, uh, mm -hmm. with, with different people from different backgrounds because of that. So I think that that is a skill set within itself. Um, but I feel like 85 to percent 
of what we do in the sports entertainment attraction industry is relatively the same. You know, it's building out systems, process, structure, and uniformity that can scale. Um, and that's it. And then you adjust and adapt based on whatever the trinket you're selling is. Yeah. And um, you, you might, you know, change out vernacular, change out verbiage. Um, and then you might have to change out some percentile, you know, percentiles to, to, to make it work. But outside of that, I think 85% of what we do on a daily basis in our industry as a whole is relatively the same. Um, and you can learn the 15%. Right. And I think once you, you know, there was a certain internal fear where I was always curious if I would be able to adjust and adapt enough or be able to take that leap of faith. But it wasn't anything externally. It was all internal. Um, and it was my internal fear because I had this comfort zone that I built, this plush couch, if you will, where I, I knew what to expect. There, were no, there was never going to be any curveballs. I knew the support system I had in place. I knew what people would think about me and how they would respect me. Um, and there's a great book out there. It's called Ego is the Enemy. And I, I think looking back at that, and I wish I would have read it earlier, um, but I think I, my what was holding me back from maybe making that leap to MLS, a new league, um, a brand new team like the Los Angeles Football Club prior to doing that was ego. I think what would have held me back five years ago prior to my LAFC experience of transitioning to attractions most definitely would have been ego because I would have been fearful what a Travis Apple would think about Corey Breton transitioning to attractions. Like, what is that? Why did he make that move? It doesn't make sense on paper. Um, but it made sense to me. And, and as long as it makes sense to me, and I go back to that original answer uh, to the question you asked about interviewing, just stay true to you. As long as it makes sense to you, that, that's what matters most. Because at the end of the day, when you do work those long hours, you have to go home with yourself or with your loved ones. And, and you have to enjoy like you have to like like what you see in the mirror, the man in the mirror. Um, and so I think just be honest and true to yourself and authentic and genuine with that. Um, and I think you'll, you'll kind of carve yourself out a career that makes sense to you, which is all that matters. And that's the most important thing, right? Yeah. Not worrying about what others think in regards to your career. And so, you know, leading to that question, you kind of mentioned you, you've lived in multiple different areas of the country. You're now out in LA, you know, kind of living the dream out there. And, you know, I know a lot of this business and a lot of people say, well, it's a grind. There's so many hours. Like, how do you have that work-life balance? And, you know, I know you and I've talked about it because we've always struggled with that, you know, in early and stay late. But, you know, I remember going back to Atlanta days. I felt like we we're still kind of in college. We played in every league imaginable, softball, basketball, football, frisbee, kickball, like cornhole. Like, what would your advice be to find a balance or how to have a balance, especially as you've talked about, like going out of your comfort zone and moving to a new city or a new area? Yeah. And I think that's where I go back to. It's not a job. It's not a vocation. It's a, it's a, a lifestyle. And what I mean by that, I've, I've committed to a career. Um, I think others that commit to a career, they blend life and work. Like I apply the same print, the same principles that I would apply to the nine to five are the same principles I apply five and beyond. Right. And so I look, go back to my North star. If what drives my economic engine is growth, when I pick up a book or listen to a podcast or go play in a softball league, I'm looking to grow. And the principles and the things I pick up in a softball league, I feel like in some way, shape or form, I don't know it yet, but somehow some way, shape or form, they might influence something I'll do in the office and vice versa. Yep. And so I think once you commit to that in realizing that there, there doesn't have to be a distinct line, it's not a black and white world like create the world that you want to live in. And when you do that, when you go to work, you're applying skill set you picked up last night in a book you read and you're excited about the book you're reading because you're trying to figure out how it can apply to you increasing your savings account or maybe buy an additional house as, you know, a backup to the whatever it might be, additional income. So I, I would just say that in today's world, we're automatically connected via all the different tools that we have, which is great. And we've learned it, especially through COVID, you know, yep. the ability to work from home is definitely there. There was certainly fear on my end of how productive individuals could be. I think one thing we've realized, we've forever changed the way people work. You know, I don't expect to go back to a natural office anymore and have to punch the time clock like I'm Fred Flintstone and punch out and be the first to, first to arrive, last to leave, just to feel like I'm valued at that work, right? Yep. I think we'll place a lot more 
emphasis on the product of work than the number of hours. Like I can, I now know because we're obviously you learn through your skill set, you get better at that skill set that you can accomplish just as much in a 40 hour week than you can in a 60. It just takes a little bit more focus and less breaks and less like things to knock you off the, the pedestal, if you will. So um, hopefully that's answering your question, but I, I just look at it as I, I never saw a delineation between, all right, once it hits five o'clock, there's, here comes the life balance piece. Everything I was doing was focused around growth. And as long as that's a common denominator, I'm always seeking things out that I'm excited about. And I, I don't necessarily feel like I'm working when I'm working because I'm always focused on growth. I don't feel like I'm not working when I'm not working because I'm always focused on growth. It's just part of my fabric, if you will. And I think people that I see and I read about today that are the most successful have that button that they never turn off because it's something that motivates them and it's much bigger than just the, the job they're in today. They don't look at it as a job. So ho hopefully that helps answer. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, you kind of find your calling or find out what you're passionate about. And, you know, some jobs. And when I go back to that, I think when I, I'm focused on growth, I'm not focused on sport. I'm not focused on NBA. Um, I'm not focused on a league. I'm focused on growth. What does that mean? That's what's afforded me the opportunity to expand my horizon, grow my breadth of knowledge, and move into different lanes, which might not seem or which might seem non-traditional. And a lot of it goes back to your point. It's both personal and professional growth. Those are both very key. And so to kind of wrap it up, you know, Corey, you've always encouraged me to do a lot of reading and, you know, a lot of books I, I've read have come from your influence, but also, you know, I always like at the end of the books or the end of each chapter, some key takeaways. So why don't you know, here to end kind of the, the first initial podcast of 52 Weeks of Hustle, what would be your, your three key takeaways that you'd give every listener to ultimately hopefully be in your shoes one day and continue to excel in this business? Oh, um, I think it's a great question. And first and foremost, and I probably should have uh, caveated this entire conversation with anything I say is, is not like end all be all, that's what you have to do, right? I think everybody's journey is gonna be a little bit different and unique. Um, and so from that lens, I would just say that this is what's worked for me, it might not necessarily work for you. Um, first and foremost, surround yourself with like-minded individuals. Um, and if you find what I would call, and if you've read like a, a, the John Gordon books, The Energy Vampires, like be willing, be, be willing and be courageous enough to kick out the energy vampires, whether it be in your group from high school, your group from college, or your group at work, that there's always that person that's sitting in the corner complaining about everything. Um, they're a victim mentality. And so I think first and foremost, find like-minded individuals and, and build out your own tribe. Yep. That will influence each other. And, and you build each other up, you never tear each other down. Um, I would say that's number one. Um, Number two, and, and this is, once again, personal opinion, um, be willing to evolve, grow, and adapt, but at the same time, remain authentic and genuine and true to you. Um, I, I never want to lose my core. I, I never want to lose where I came from. I never want to lose my background. I never want to lose what influenced me to this day, right? And so I think there will be certain points and times where people will try to get you to change or recommend that you need to change in order to achieve. And I think, you know, your road might take a little bit longer. Um, and I'm not saying change, like, you know, I, I believe change and evolution are phenomenal things, but at your core, I think being true and genuine and authentic will get you further in the long run and build stronger and deeper relationships than not. So I, I think that's a, another one. Um, and the last, I, I, I would say, Challenge your comfort zone. And I know a lot of people say it. Um, if you've never ran a mile, run a mile. If you've never ran a 5K, run a 5K, right? If you've never lived out of state, live out of state. Um, and don't move to the closest town right out of the state. Like, move across country. Right. Um, and I would just say bet on you would be the last one piece of advice. Um, if you're sitting at the table, whether it's a, a, a blackjack table or a card table, you know, with that all-in moment where you know you could lose, 
but you're willing to put it all on the line because you believe in yourself enough to over, even if you do lose, you know, you know that you'll bounce back and find a way to bounce back. And I think that's especially true for the period that we're in right now with COVID. A lot of people have been laid off, furloughed, let go. But if you went all in, you have nothing to fear because you're going to be able to bounce back. Or if you don't have a job and you're graduating in April, and this is like one of the worst economies to graduate in, like go all in on you and continue to fight. And, and I think that if you look at the population, 25% have already given up right off the bat. Like there's the bell curve, 25% are done and done. They're not, you're not in competition with them anymore. There's another 25% that are waiting for the right moment, which the right moment never comes. So they're not your competition. There's a 25% that four days they're good, three days they're bad. So they're kind of tweeners, right? Yep. The middle level ground. And then there's the top 25% where every single day they're fighting, they're clawing, they're growing, and they're willing to bet on themselves. And I would just say that if you can be in that top 25% where every day you just bet on yourself um, and, and do the best you can, I, I think you're going to be all right. And there's a saying that we picked up in Atlanta. I don't know if you remember this one, but you can't be a 10 every day. And I understand that, but you can't be anything less than an eight. Yep. And I, I try to go into every single day to this day with that mentality um, especially during what we're going through right now. And uh, I think those that, you know, for those that can have that mentality will come out even stronger and better than ever before. So th those would be kind of the three things that I would take away as I would leave behind. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and certainly appreciate it. But to, to your point, find a way to win every single day and, and really evolve. And this is the time to invest in yourself. So, well, well Corey, I can't thank you enough. Again, you, you were, you know, my first boss, my first two bosses, um, obviously a big mentor and most, oh, brother. most importantly, a friend, you know, so I appreciate your time and, and certainly your expertise. Uh, again, thank you to Corey Breton, the, the Chief Revenue Officer of Global Attractions at Legends. My name is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to the initial podcast of 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Hope you have a great week. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.